0: I'll never forget what it was like years ago when my wife dropped me off at the MEPS station in Jacksonville at the military entrance processing station. And they put me on a bus and put me on a plane and sent me out to Fort Sill, Oklahoma to go begin my initial training, basic training in the Army. And from the moment I showed up, you could tell that you were in a different world. They would shave your head, slap a uniform on you, teach you to lace up your boots, and all of a sudden, you were totally immersed in a new culture that we spoke differently, we ate differently, we walked differently, that we had different customs and courtesies, different rules and regulations, even a different set of laws under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is separate and distinct from the United States laws. And so what had happened was, overnight, I became part of a totally different system, a totally different culture. And all these years later, man, it's just natural. It's just part of it. It's just part of who I am. You know, we use all these acronyms and all these phrases and all these tools that most people will never even understand or touch or be bothered with. But man, it's a totally different culture to join the military compared to the civilian world. And as radical as that change was in my life, it was just as radical when Jesus came onto the scene as he began his ministry as a rabbi. And what we've done in our religious aspects is we've made Jesus so common that we forget that Jesus was Jewish. Jesus was not just a teacher, he was a rabbi. He wasn't just a religious leader, he was bringing a new system into play. You see these, these Jewish people for thousands of years had followed the law of Moses. And on top of the 613 laws in the law of Moses, there were all these oral laws and traditions that the religious leaders put on top of it and the people just could not follow, could not keep up. And so, so many everyday people had turned their back on truly being connected with God. Culturally they may have been Jewish. But practically, they were trying to do everything they could just to survive. And then Jesus comes on the scene and Jesus was radical. Jesus brought a new culture, a new system into play that would totally overturn everything that they had been taught to bring something new. And as Jesus taught this new system, right? It it was his yoke that rabbis would have a teaching that they would have and they called it their yoke. And it was what made them different from other rabbis, that they may teach and and, and use similar scriptures, but their overall, what their focus was, was individual to each rabbi, and they called that their yoke. That's why when Jesus in Matthew 11 famously said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. See, Jesus was telling the crowds and all these people that were following him that the the regulations and the restrictions and the struggles that the other religious leaders were giving you under their yoke would be different than his, that his would give you rest. His yoke would, would give you rest for your soul, that you could lay down your heavy burden, and so, as Jesus taught his yoke when he first came on the scene, he was so different, and he did things so radically that tens of thousands of people would follow him. At one point in time, historians believe anywhere between twenty and thirty thousand people were following Jesus wherever he went. I mean, this would be massive—you, <laughs> know, cities worth of people crowding around him every day. And so where did Jesus explain his yoke, his message, his, the, 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 the way he brought the teaching of the scriptures? Well, We find that in the Sermon on the Mount, or as my professor called it, the manifesto of the kingdom. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven to restore the original purpose of creation. We learned this at the Collide conference that Light Breaks Through put on earlier this year that heaven and earth collide at a temple. That a temple is where you go for heaven and earth to meet. And so the Garden of Eden was more than just a place of vegetation. It was a temple where heaven and earth collided and that the kingdom of heaven was the same on earth and God brought his kingdom through his people. But sin messed that up sin brought a different system into play, and so the law of Moses eventually was the fix for that. But all of these 613 laws plus all of these regulations was just too much for people to bear. The law of Moses, thinking of it this way, was a mirror. It showed people their sin, but it did nothing to help them clean it. And that's what Jesus brought through his kingdom. He restored the original plan of God in a new and powerful way. And that's what we see in Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, the manifesto of the kingdom, that Jesus brought a new culture back from the the, the way things were originally meant to be in the beginning to where things are now. And sadly, most of the people that followed him misunderstood it. They believed Jesus was bringing an earthly kingdom, that he was going to overthrow the Roman Empire and that he was going to set Israel up as a world power once again. We see this numerous times, even from his own disciples, where they would argue over who was going to be the greatest and who would have the highest position in Jesus' kingdom. I believe this is why Peter denied Jesus, because in the span of a couple of hours, Peter went from using a sword to, to try to kill people, to save Jesus, because Jesus was his king, to saying, I don't even know who this guy is because Peter, along with so many others, thought Jesus was bringing an earthly kingdom. But Jesus didn't come to bring an earthly kingdom at first. Jesus came to overturn the broken system. And that's what we find in the Sermon on the Mount. But before we start looking at that, and we're gonna spend the next several weeks breaking the Sermon on the Mount down because it's so many important things, but the whole purpose of the kingdom was to overturn the system the purpose of God's kingdom coming was to overturn the system that had been created by sin and death and what humanity had set in place. That people had put all of these rules and regulations and became legalistic. That they believed that if I just followed the rules and I was a good person, right, I was a good Jew, I did all these things, offered all my sacrifices, followed all these rules, that God would be happy with me. And they missed the point that it was always about relationship. And so Jesus comes on the scene. And if you go through the book of Matthew, just summing up the beginning, Jesus was born. We know the, the Christmas story, right? And then after Jesus grows into adulthood and begins his ministry, you know, he's, he's baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. And then he goes out into the desert wilderness and is tempted. And then when he comes back out of the wilderness, he begins to preach and proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is near, and that people should repent. And I love that word near a lot of times, and it's both and. The word near in this context means both in time and in location. The kingdom of heaven is near in time because all of the waiting was over. Jesus was bringing the kingdom and would later task his disciples and the church to do that here on earth as it is in heaven. But then there was also here, it was near in location, That kingdom had come from heaven down to earth to bring connection once again. And so we see this in Matthew after Jesus comes out and begins proclaiming that the kingdom is near. He calls the disciples. And then in Matthew chapter 4, we get this prelude to the Sermon on the Mount. Because remember, chapters and verses were not originally in the books of the Bible. We added those centuries later to make it easier to find things. But if you want a fun way to to, to deepen your Bible study, go back and reread the, the books of the Bible, taking out in your mind the chapters and verses, and you'll start seeing that context of overlap that keeps us from making these section breaks. And so before Matthew chapter five can happen, we need to read the end of Matthew chapter four, because remember those breaks weren't originally there. So what we see at the end of Matthew chapter four is what's going on in Jesus's ministry, starting in verse 23. And it says, Jesus traveled throughout the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria, And people soon began bringing him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. Large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, from Decapolis, also translated the Ten Towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea, and from east of the Jordan River. And that's where we pick up in the life of Jesus as the Sermon on the Mount happens in Matthew chapter 5. Now, we're not gonna be able to read the whole thing in one sitting and break it down and understand it. So we're gonna do it chunk by chunk. And today we're gonna to focus on the beginning with the beatitudes. Now, when I was a kid, my, my Bible teacher would, you know, help us remember this by saying, these are the these are the be attitudes. This is what you should be doing. So it's your be the attitude that you should that should be in your life, right? But the word beatitude is not talking about your actual attitude, right? He's actually talking about being in a state of being blessed or blessedness or in high favor with God. And so this whole section that, is, that is, is very poetic as Jesus preaches in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount for the Manifesto of the Kingdom that we call the Beatitudes is an explanation of what we have to do in order to be blessed. Now remember, Jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system. Jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system and in our system even today we believe that you're blessed and favored by God when you have a lot of wealth we believe that you're blessed and favored by God when you have good health and prosperity we believe that you're blessed and favored by God when everything is going well in your life that you have all these accolades and awards and education and high position and power right and all this this comfort in your life we see this very clearly in the book of Job, that in the Jewish culture, that they believe that if you were being, if something wrong or something bad happened in your life, that you had sinned and that you were being punished. Or, and we see this even in when Jesus and his disciples come past a man who was born blind. The first thing the disciples ask Jesus is, who sinned? That this man would be born blind. Did the man sin or did his parents sin? because they believed in their system and their culture that if you do what is right you'll be rewarded if you do what is wrong you'll be punished and so if you're blessed you'll be given earthly favors and earthly standing but Jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn that system in Jesus's kingdom and the kingdom of heaven the, the, the things don't work the same just like when I joined the army, I it became part of a new culture with a new way of life and a new set of standards. The same thing happens when the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God comes, that we become part of a new culture, a new system. And so Jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system. And so now, instead of focusing on earthly blessings and earthly health, wealth, and prosperity, Jesus turns that on its head. And look at what happens starting in the beginning of Matthew chapter 5. It says, one day, as he, Jesus, saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up the mountainside and sat down. And you can Google this. You should Google the Mount of Beatitudes. I have great hopes one day to go back to the Middle East and go to Israel. When I was there before, I got to go to Jordan and Syria and, 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 and travel other nations and see a lot of the places that were mentioned in the Bible. But, oh, I'd love to go to Israel and sit down on the Mount of Beatitudes where we believe Jesus taught the Sermon on the Mount. And you can Google it and see that picture. It's really beautiful with the grasses by the seashore. And it says this, his disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. This is where we find Jesus's rabbinical yoke, his teachings as a rabbi. And this is what he starts out with. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. This section is called the Beatitudes. This is what it takes to be blessed. This doesn't sound like what we consider in our earthly system as being blessed. Jesus didn't say anything about God blesses those who have nice houses. He didn't say God blesses those who have big bank accounts or God blesses those who have great powerful positions. Actually, he said something very different and quite the opposite. Because Jesus, when, like we said, he when he brought his kingdom, he overturned the old system and he brought a new one. Now. What we end up doing a lot of times with this section of the Sermon on the Mount is we end up looking at it verse by verse, almost as if it's a proverb, that God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And that's true. We can do that. But when we do that, we miss the context of this as a whole. It's the danger of of, of the chapter verse system. I'm thankful for it. It really makes life a lot easier for finding passages and memorizing scripture. Right. I mean, we all know John 3:16. Right, John chapter 3, verse 16. We have them memorized that way, instead of saying, "Oh, somewhere, you know, a, a little bit down the scroll." Right, a few, you know, maybe 10, 15 pages in. <laughs> right, we, that would be very difficult. And so, instead, chapter and verse is wonderful in that it helps us find location. But man, it is the enemy of context. Because when we look at this and we zoom out a little bit, we realize each of these build on each other. So let's take some time to look at each of these Beatitudes. The first one is where it says God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. Other translations say God blesses those who are poor in spirit, right? this isn't this isn't jesus saying you're blessed when you're poor so you should give all your money away you should sell your house and you should live on the streets and, and have nothing material no material possessions that's not the context it's spiritual right because jesus is bringing a spiritual kingdom this new system and he's saying hey if you want to be blessed in my kingdom you need to realize that you need god that you god blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him You see, it starts with this recognition of who we are in comparison to God. When we see ourselves for who we really are, there's a reason why when the Apostle Peter first recognizes who Jesus is, his attitude completely changes. When he first meets Jesus, he's like, ah, here's this rabbi telling us to go out and fish. we fished all night, it's the heat of the day, there's no fish, only an idiot goes fishing this time. But what happens when they have the miraculous catch and there's so many fish, they can't bring it into the boat, they have to drag it on the shore. Peter hits his knees and he tells Jesus to depart from me, get away from me, because I'm a sinful man. What happened? Peter recognized that he was poor in spirit. He had all these fish in the net to bring him material wealth, but he recognized in the presence of Jesus, God in skin, that he was poor in spirit. And so what happens when we recognize we're poor in spirit and we come to God and we need him, recognize we need him, then we receive the kingdom of heaven. We become part of it. That's the first step. The only way to enter into the kingdom is to become poor in spirit and recognize our need for God and accept that we need him. And that's a hard first step, that radical acceptance to say, wow, I am poor in spirit. I need you, Lord. Right. We sing the the old hymn. Right. Lord, I I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Right. That became the, the contemporary song. Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour I need you. Right my one defense, my righteousness, right? That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And that's how we receive the kingdom. But then it goes on. Then Jesus says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. See, this is the next step. And so let's look at these now as a progression, right? We've read them, but let's look at them as a progression, the way Jesus builds on them. That first, we're poor in spirit. We recognize our need for God and then we become part of the kingdom. But then what happens? We mourn. Because we see our sinfulness in comparison to God's majesty and perfection and holiness. And we begin to mourn over our sin. We mourn over our past life of all the evils we have done. But then Jesus gives us this promise that you're blessed when you mourn. Because then you'll be comforted. See, after we recognize, man, we are poor in spirit. We have nothing to give God. And God gives us everything. We mourn over our past and our sin and our struggle. And then God comforts us by drawing near to us and recreating that relationship, restoring the relationship that God wanted in the very beginning of creation. But then it goes on and says, then God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. You see, after we're comforted, man, what is that making us a humble spirit? When I recognize I'm poor in spirit and I need God, I get into the kingdom. When I get into the kingdom, I recognize my sin and my evil and my depravity. And then God comforts me. And then I become humble. And I recognize it's not about me. I'm no longer the boss. I'm no longer in charge. I'm just a part of God's kingdom. And yes, we are sons and daughters. We are joint heirs. We we are royal priests, part of the royal priesthood. Yes, but we still need humility to say, Lord, we submit to you your authority and your will and once we do that guess what we inherit the earth now that's not a promise for earthly prosperity because if it was every single one of jesus's disciples would have died healthy and great life condition with their families surrounding them with, with full bellies and full wallets enjoying all the, the wonderful comforts of this world but we know they didn't and that had the opposite right So we know that's not what Jesus is talking about. When Jesus says we will inherit the whole earth, that means that as as we spread the kingdom all over the globe, then our culture, our new system dominates and we overturn old systems that that are sinful and evil and full of depravity and selfishness. That we as, as, as God's people do exactly what we were supposed to do in the very beginning. You see the whole point of when God created people he told Adam and Eve what fill the earth and govern it take dominion over it bringing heaven to earth and Jesus is saying that once we recognize our need for him and are poor in spirit we receive the kingdom of heaven and then we become you know, mournful and grieve over our sin and our evil depravity and then God comforts us once he comforts us we become humble and once we become humble and we consider others greater than ourselves we become the first servant among them all like Jesus modeled for us then we fill the earth with God's glory and so after God has covered the whole earth guess what happens God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice for they will be satisfied you see once we are now in charge of the whole earth and we see terrible things happen when we see evil occur and injustice take place we stand up for the weak we right the wrongs that doesn't mean we we become superheroes that do physical violence that's not what we're saying we don't we don't become militant militias and zealots that 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 use violence no 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 we overcome with love Jesus didn't overturn the old system with violence he overturned it with the power of his word and in his love for people and that's what happens for us, that when we, when we hunger and thirst for justice, we become satisfied. Because what happens in, this, in the kingdom system, there's satisfaction and there's justice because rights have been wrong. And we start treating each other in love. And Jesus on the cross paid the penalty we deserve. And all the justice on heaven and earth is satisfied in that for all eternity. And then... Once we hunger and thirst for justice and we're satisfied and we see others as made in God's image, look at what happens next. God blesses those who are merciful. You see, when we become satisfied because the the justice has now uh, been, been provided through Jesus, then we can become merciful. Then like God showed mercy to us, we can show mercy to other people. And then once we become merciful, then we get shown mercy, both from God and from people. That the more we forgive each other, the more we want to forgive each other. The easier it becomes because, you know, when Jesus told us in a later parable that the person who is forgiven much loves much. And some of the greatest relationships that I have in my life are the deepest ones are from people that have forgiven me of, of, of things that I didn't deserve. But what does that do? That deepens our relationship. So when we are merciful to others, we receive mercy in return. But then what happens? It keeps building, right? Then after we show mercy and we receive mercy, then what happens? Our hearts become pure. And in Christ, we receive a new mind and a new heart. And now we can look at people in a new way and we can, what, see them for who they really are. We see that they were made on purpose, with purpose, for a purpose. And the promise is that when our hearts are pure, we see God, we see God. We see God everywhere. We see God in other people. We see God in his creation. We see God in his goodness and his mercy. We see him, we encounter him because our hearts are now pure. And it goes on. Once our heart is pure and we see God, it says God blesses those who work for peace. So now we we, we see the injustice, we're satisfied because we, we have God's kingdom culture. We become merciful, we're shown mercy, our hearts are pure, then we see God and then we begin to work for peace. You see, as God's kingdom comes, it is already here, but also not yet. Jesus' kingdom has been reigning for 2,000 years, but it is not finished yet. Even though Jesus said it was finished on the cross, the work of salvation was finished, but the bringing of the kingdom and Jesus' reign here on earth is still ongoing. And so we have to work for that peace. We have to continue to spread the gospel, to share the good news, to make disciples. And then guess what happens? Then We get called children of god that when people see us they 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 see oh that's that's not just james he's a child of god oh that's not just my neighbor they're a child of god that's not just some person that that used to be a criminal and now they've reformed or they used to be an embezzler or an adulterer or they used to be a liar or a cheat all these things and that's who they were but now they're children of god you see the difference you see the change and then oh what happens once we become god's children. God says, God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right. You see, we're doing right. And then Jesus reminds us, hey, remember, even when you're persecuted, the kingdom of God is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. And he goes on to to give this assurance that we're blessed when people mock us and persecute us and lie about us and say evil things about us because we're Christ's followers. Jesus actually says we should be happy about it. Why? Because we are now storing up rewards and treasures in heaven this sounds really different doesn't it maybe even different than how you were taught this section from the sermon on the mount but my encouragement for you this week is to go back and dig deeper into this section and see it as a progression and recognize that jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system to stop focusing on earthly wealth and prosperity even though those are great things we use those things to bring god's kingdom but they are a tool they are not a destination that they're, they're not an achievement. No, they're, they're a way to bring the kingdom. And So what do we do, man? We become poor in spirit, and then we receive the kingdom. We mourn over our sin and our evil, and we were comforted by God. Then we become humble because we recognize who we are in comparison to God, and we inherit the earth by bringing His kingdom all over the place. Then we become hungry and thirsty for righteousness and justice, and then we're satisfied by bringing kingdom culture. We do that, man, by being merciful. And when we show others mercy, we're shown mercy. What happens after we do that? Man, we have hearts that are pure and we see God everywhere in other people and we experience him. Once we experience God, we begin to work for peace all over the world and we become known as children of God. And when we're children of God, yeah, we're persecuted. But then we remember the kingdom of heaven is ours. You see the build you see the cycle there so if you want a life that's blessed you need to ask yourself whose system am i seeking to be blessed in because jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the old system and so whose system are you seeking to be blessed in today you see we want to read the beatitudes a state of 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 blessedness and favor by god but that comes when we become part of his system and we work to bring his kingdom so i don't know where you are today If you've been focused on bringing your kingdom and building up treasures here on earth i want to ask you to consider becoming part of the kingdom system of recognizing there's more to it than that that we have a kingdom to bring that god has tasked us with god always partners with people he always does and god has tasked you and me to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven and it starts with the beatitudes It starts with recognizing that Jesus brought a kingdom that would overturn the system, and you and I are part of that. So be blessed this week. Dig into this stuff, and let's begin to live for the kingdom.